Hi, this is Pastor Emily McGinley from Urban Village Church, Hyde Park, Woodlawn. If you've been to UVC, you'll know that we seek to be three things, bold, inclusive, and relevant. We know that there are countless folks across the country and out there in podcast land like yourself, seeking a message that will bring insight, hope, encouragement, and joy as we do this thing called faith. Please consider making a financial gift to help us with this work of inspiring, equipping, and sending out agents of gospel life and inclusive love. Just go to www.urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks for listening, and God bless. Our passage for today comes from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 1 through 3 and 11 through 16. Listen for what God is saying to you. Keep loving each other like family. Don't neglect to open up your homes to guests, because by doing this, some have been host to angels without knowing it. Remember prisoners as if you were in prison with them, and people who are mistreated as if you were in their place. The blood of the animals is carried into the Holy of Holies by the high priest as an offering for sin, and their bodies are burned outside the camp. And so Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make the people holy with his own blood. So now, let's go to him outside the camp, bearing his shame. We don't have a permanent city there, but rather we are looking for the city that is still to come. So let's continually offer up a sacrifice of praise through him, which is the fruit of from our lips that confess his name. Don't forget to do good and to share what you have, beca- what you have because God is pleased with these kinds of sacrifices. May God add a blessing to the hearing and living out of this scripture. Good morning again. I don't think I introduced myself, so I will do that now. My name is Emily McGinley, and I have the great joy of serving as um, the pastor of this congregation, Urban Village Church Hyde Park uh, Woodlawn, uh, in partnership and ministry with many of the folks that you have seen up front here, um, but many people who never come up front but help us do what we do and be who we are, and I'm grateful to serve alongside them and to, to do this work of, of learning more about what it means to follow Jesus with you. Let's begin with a word of prayer. God, we are thankful for this time to gather um, here on Sunday morning to uh, still our hearts and our minds, to allow your spirit to move um, through us in ways that maybe the busyness of our week can sometimes make it difficult to experience. So I pray that you would clear away those things that crowd out our thoughts and maybe uh, block our hearts and our spirits from... um, from really sitting in your presence so that we can, at least just for this time, be open vessels that receive what it is that you would have to do within us, to speak to us, to move through us for your work and your glory and your vision of wholeness of life for all in this world. We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus, who showed us what that looked like and that it was possible. Amen. Earlier this week, uh, I met with our starting point small group And as we started off our time together, I asked a question that if you've been through Starting Point, uh, you might recall, what are the asterisks that you put on God's grace? Or to put it another way, how would you finish the sentence, I can only experience God's grace if fill in the blank. Responses ranged from if I'm devout enough, or if I'm productive enough, or perfect enough. Uh, uh, And one participant explained that in the Baptist tradition that they grew up in, no one was worthy of God's grace, and everyone, at best, existed in a status of perpetual repentance, which was significantly better than if you were a complete reprobate, in which case you were beyond help and folk were better off unloading you before you sink the entire enterprise. 
Another participant started off in a similar way, saying that they thought pretty much any human community is deplorable, but the fact that people do things for one another and care for one another beyond their self-interest is evidence of the baffling quality of God's grace, that it shows up without our invitation and with inexplicable persistence. Now, on one hand, living in a transactional culture, I get how easy it is for us to take on a mindset that we need to produce or perform in some way in order to be worthy of receiving anything from God or anyone. But just because it feels familiar or even normal, it doesn't mean that this kind of theologizing isn't problematic and that even worse, that it isn't necessarily death-dealing. This came home to me most powerfully during our starting point group because while the sharing was rich and thought-provoking, there was one response that just kind of stopped me in my mental tracks. This person talked about how the asterisk for them was a little voice that showed up in the back of their heads from time to time and told them that they were beyond the bounds of God's grace, that there was nothing they could say or do about, that was true about the world that would make it possible for them to be worthy of God's presence and grace. And as I read through our passage for this morning, I was reminded that sadly, this is not a new idea. Now, before I jump in, you need to know that Hebrews is called Hebrews because it was written for Jewish people. And it's important to know this because this letter and other parts of the New Testament has been used as justification for the violence and exclusion of Jewish people throughout the history of the church and society. We ain't about that life, right? (laughs) And believe it or not, neither was the author of this letter because this was a letter written by one of their own. She says, we can do better, and our Jewish brother Jesus showed us how. Because you see, especially in this passage, there had been built up a whole culture and cult practice that surrounded rituals of sacrificial atonement. Rituals that helped people feel confident that they could be restored and reconciled in relationship with God and their communities. That's not necessarily a bad thing, right? They were rituals that quelled their anxieties about whether they were in or out. The author explains how this works. The blood of animals is carried into the Holy of Holies by the high priest as an offering for sin, and the bodies of the animals are sent sent away and burnt outside the walls of the camp. Now everyone who is within the city walls could rest easy, because the blood of the animals has served as payment for their sin. But so then what about the people outside the city walls, right? Too bad, so sad for them, uh, is pretty much what they would say. We built the walls so that we know who is in, me, (laughs) and who is out, them. But what's going on outside these walls? Well, Jesus talked about what the opposite of God's kingdom was like. He usually had a name for it, and we call it hell, but he called it Gehenna. And Gehenna was actually a real place, a small valley outside the city walls that basically served as like the city dump. It was originally used by ancient Israelites um, who actually sacrificed their children, put, set them on fire, and burnt their bodies to appease a pagan Canaanite god. And um, eventually, uh, God, the god of the Jewish people, uh, eventually uh, said, this area is unclean and you need to stop that, right? Uh, later, then, Gehenna was used as a landfill by the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the big city, right? Where people took their trash uh, to be burned. And then it began to, you know, after a while, you put enough trash in there. Uh, It began to wreak havoc on daily life in Jerusalem as, you know, if the wind was going in the wrong way, the smell of burning sewage, flesh, maggots, garbage, uh, began to create, like, actually documented medical problems like nausea and breathing difficulty. There were constant fires springing up. Dogs and other wild animals would fight and gnash their teeth. Um, And 
So you can kind of begin to get a sense of like where these images of hell you know, were, were coming up in people's imaginations. This was the place where things that no longer had use or meaning for the people within the city of the walls, uh, city, city walls of, uh, were thrown, right? It was thrown out into Gehenna. And then between Gehenna and the city gates, because there's some distance between there, right, were the folks who were not welcome in the city, the incurably diseased, the mentally ill, or somehow uh, or other unfit for life in the city or belonging in the community. These were the forsaken, the spiritually reprobate and physically abandoned. They had been disowned, deserted, and rejected by the community. And everyone knew about Gehenna, and nobody wanted to have anything to do with it. This was so normal and so accepted as a reality that it never occurred to anyone to think any, anything different about it. And so when our author says Jesus also suffered outside the city gate to make people holy with his own blood, this is a shocking claim, right? The blood of a sacrificed animal is so sacred that only the highest priest could carry it into the holiest place. But here, our author is saying that the blood of God in the form of Jesus flowed freely among foul, dirty, and a forgotten trash heap. That by Jesus' death, God's embrace of love and reach of grace was not only for those who lived safely inside the walls, cushioned and, and self-assured, right? But also, and maybe even especially, for those who exist outside the walls. And this all sounds very lovely and warm and fuzzy, and it is, but there's also kind of an edge to this claim that we would do well to understand. Because you see, this is also a risky claim. When you believe that there are no boundaries within God's invitation, when you understand that there are no borders to those who are welcome at God's table, and when you act on that conviction that human dignity and worth are not determined by righteousness, membership, or citizenship, you might find yourself sitting and swimming in some pretty dangerous waters. Now, this past week um, concluded the trial of Scott Warren, maybe some of you heard of him, a geography teacher from Arizona who was arrested for helping a pair of migrants from Central America. With blistered feet, they had traveled through the desert where it can get as hot as 120 degrees in the middle of the day and below freezing at night. They gained access to a storage facility that was used by No More Deaths, an organization that sets out water, canned food, and blankets among commonly traveled pathways in the desert. And when Warren, who had no idea of the, uh, that these people were there, when he arrived at the facility 20, 40 minutes later, he was surprised to find them, but he tended to their needs. And for this, he was arrested. During his trial, the government made its case, charging him with conspiracy and harboring migrants. After two days of deliberation, the jury couldn't make a decision as to whether or not he was guilty. And while this was a ruling about one man, at its heart, it was a trial of human worth. Scott Warren broke the laws of the state. But there are another set of laws that exist, too. Laws that govern humanity. Laws that affirm our value and worth as soul-bearing people. Laws that may not serve the interests of national security, but fill the laws of human dignity. Now, I don't know if Scott Warren is a Christian or if he practices any faith at all, but what I do know is that he committed himself to do what Jesus did so long ago, venturing out and offering to others what the systems and structures of his religious tradition would not, healing, restoration, and hope. Every time we choose to go beyond the bounds of what we've been instructed as acceptable or appropriate or approved in order to share and show the compassion, 
the love and the grace of God. Every time we do like Jesus did and show up in those places and among those people that we've been told don't count, that we should disregard, every time we look and pay attention when we've been conditioned and coerced to ignore and look away, every time we do such as these, we are carrying forward the beautiful, redemptive, and dangerous work that Jesus set in motion so long ago. And so as we think about what it means to go beyond invitation to help folks experience and know God's love and grace, I ask you a question. What are the places that exist beyond the bounds that you've been taught to obey? What are those bounds? Who lives there? How then can you begin to disrupt those bounds, to be a beacon of restoration, connection, and healing? Now, you don't have to be Scott Warren, although you could. But you are responsible for doing your part. Each one of us is, right? However big or small that might be. It might look like providing water to migrants in the desert, or it might look like uh, what we did a couple of weeks ago uh, when I invited you to join me for a night at the Jeffrey Pub, the only black-owned LGBTQ club in Chicago. Now, the vibe uh, was what you would expect for a Sunday evening, low-key, uh, not super packed. When I arrived, it happened to, uh, I happened to walk in on a birthday celebration for Karen Davis, uh, 56 years old. She and all her friends were celebrating um, her birthday, and as the music played, a gospel song came on, and one of her friends stood up in front of everyone and just sang her heart out along with that song. We danced and celebrated, and as we got to know Karen, at one point she asked uh, to take a photo with us, um, and then she friended us on Facebook. <laughs> now, it's not clear to me, actually, who was showing who God's love. At the, in that moment. But really, I think uh, that's kind of usually how it goes with God, right? When we show up in unexpected places ready uh, to share God's love, uh, to, it's usually actually a two-way street. We end up being recipients of it too. And so whether it is water in the desert, dancing in a pub, button-making at a festival, or marching in a parade, let's put ourselves in those out-of-bound places, right? To extend God's love, to extend God's welcome, Letting folks know that there is a place where God's love can't be stopped, that there's no end to God's reach in this world. Let's show a different kind of message about what God's love can look like. Now, at the beginning of this passage, the author reminds us to not forget about those who have been pushed out and pushed away. She says, remember prisoners as if you were in prison with them, and people who were mistreated as if you were in their place. Remember, and in your remembering, practice hospitality. Open your homes to guests. She says, in doing so, some have been host to angels without even knowing it. As we cross boundaries, we will be uncomfortable. We'll feel out of our element. We'll probably find ourselves confronted with uncomfortable truths about who we are or how the world is. We also might find ourselves encouraged by what we experience or who we encounter. No matter how we step out, we have to step out. And no matter where we go, we have to continue to cross boundaries, whatever those boundaries are for us, to live by God's law, a law that says everyone deserves a place at the table, whether it's at the edge of a desert or the middle of a festival. And wherever we are, no matter how self-conscious or anxious we may feel, we must open our hearts to the strangers that we encounter. And that, in that process, we might just find out that who we thought was a stranger was actually an angel. Let's pray. God, we confess to you that uh, we have lived within bounds, 
boundaries and borders that maybe uh, we have unwittingly been complicit to, but also have um, at times found comfort, found privilege, found superiority to find ourselves within. We confess these things to you and we ask, God, that you would help us to move us from a place of unhealthy safety to a place of life-giving boundary crossing. Help us to have the courage and the willingness and the deep conviction that your grace is so unending and so far-reaching that we are called to participate in it and to act on that, to live that out, wherever it is we may find ourselves and however it is that you may lead. Help us, in spite of ourselves, to be mouthpieces of your grace, hands of invitation, and hearts of welcome, wherever we find ourselves. And in, in doing so, may we find ourselves enlivened and invigorated and reminded once again that we too are fully welcome at your table, fully welcome in your presence, no matter who we are, what we do, or where we find ourselves. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.